Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good. And welcome to the wisest hockey fans in the world, the people who read and listen to the Cult of Hockey. It is our pleasure to interact with them every day. And we almost it is almost every day of the year, isn't it, Bruce? Well, it's getting close, that's for sure. I mean, if you count actual posts that we write, it is, I think, every single day. We have Pretty something. much. We might miss a few days in August. What planet uh, we is didn't that again? Th- we didn't this August. You you missed the month, but the rest of us were beavering away. <laughs> I just detected a hint of bitterness there. Not I'm, at all. But uh, we kept it going, is all I'm saying. We uh, you did. Hey, I was away, and I was still I know you. I know you were away. Let's so. just remember that. Yeah, I'm well aware you were away and we kept her going, so we didn't miss any days in August. <laughs> <laughs> What's that planet again that pops up first thing in our planet? That's Jupiter. Jupiter, all right. Okay, Beauty, quite a night it? of Oilers hockey tonight. 6-3 oh, six, three, six, three win, take the win, but what a weird game that was. And uh, two points and run! I guess uh, oh, that's, that's not how Dave Tippett was looking at it after oh. the game, though. Oh, man. My wife asked me after the game, she said, how do you think Dave Tippett's going to react to this win? And I said, he's going to come out. He's not going to look happy at all. Uh, he's going to gush over Mikko Koskinen, and he's going to rip his team 18 new ones. And that's pretty much exactly how it played out. Man, did he look stern. Oh. <laughs> I was exactly right. I mean, he's got about 500 yards of videotape that he's going to be able to splice end-to-end and show uh, uh, in attention to detail. We'll get into this a little bit more later, but it was yeah, even, as sloppy as sloppy can get. Man, oh, man, it was bad. Even when the game was close, Bruce, mm-hmm. like, oh. when, like even when it was close, they were, they were getting the snot beat out of them because the other team yep. wanted it more. They were hustling harder, and the Oilers' defensive play was like it was one – lax boneheaded move after another and then suddenly chris russell lobs the puck down the ice Connor mcdavid slam dunks it into the net on the alley-oop play and the game's over they got a couple power plays bam bam and it's five to one totally against the flow of play and then they completely took the third period off got out shot 25 to four and the third 25 to four so i guess the good news is this team does have the offensive talent the unbelievable offensive talent to put up kind of a stinker of a game and still win it, which, which they haven't had before. Because nope. I think we've seen this actually maybe twice now this year um, where they've really been the, by far the weaker team and they've, they've uh, still managed to win. So this is the two good things, two bad things, and two numbers brought, uh, podcast. <laughs> Bruce, what is your good thing? I'm going to get hop right on board with head coach Dave Tippett and credit Mikko Koskinen for the win. Now, this was a game where Conor McDavid scored five points uh, to lead a 6-3 to three win. And head coach Dave Tippett said Mikko Koskinen deserved the first, second, and third stars for facing the absolute barrage of rubber that he did, including multiple, multiple golden looks from the center slot. And fending them off or filling the net so much that made Philly shoot for the corners and miss or, or what have you. Uh, but he was under siege, man. And he was in the first period, the first half of the second period. The Oilers actually owned the back half of the second period. And that was really the only part of the game 
where yeah. they uh, they were in any sort of control. And then the third period, they fell asleep. So, so what would you have given? Mc, you didn't do the game grades. Kurt did. What would you have given McDavid, Bruce, for a five-point night? Oh man. Well, I think I'm going to talk about McDavid and my numbers. Well, okay, so we'll get to me, this. Uh, maybe I'll give you my grade number then too. Let's end. We'll both end with what we would have given him. Okay. okay. Uh, so my good thing was the um, what is it? Uh, the acronym? Oh, the CNN line. Billy Hero came up with that. The CNN line. Chase on, oh, Nugent okay. Hopkins and Neil. And this was, so there's been about three games, I think, all year where the Oilers have had, other than the top line, they've had another line going. Mm -hmm. And this was one of them because the CNN line um, actually did a lot, got a lot done um, out there, did a lot good. They actually, uh, Ethan Bear's goal was scored uh, after a very nice rush up ice by uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, puts it over to Neil, and Neil puts it over to Bear who slams it in. And Bear, Ethan Bear suddenly looked like a grizzly bear, like about 10 feet tall after that play. He was so high and playing so well for the, in the next 10 minutes or so after, after he scored that goal. It's great to see Ethan Bear succeeding. Uh, so that line, um, Chase On, Chase On is, a, is a really solid um, kind of middle line NHL winger, I think. And it looks like what we've seen, you know, I keep expecting it to be a mirage, Bruce, with James Neal, but it looks like James Neal is too. They're both kind of these cagey veterans who know how to win board battles, control the puck, pass the puck, make a play, uh, puck protect. And as long as they defend well um, with some hustle, which which they had, I think, more than any other line on the order study in terms of the defensive play, fewer brain cramps and more hustle, that could be... Uh, a decent line. And that, now they don't have speed. Uh, it's a fairly slow line other than Nugent Hopkins, but maybe he's enough. Maybe he's fast enough to kind of drive the play forward and then work with these two other guys. Um, I don't know if it's going to work wrong, but it sure worked. I thought that game and that was, that was really great to see, gratifying to see because, you know, heading into the game, Bruce, I, I added up the scoring chance shots on the Oilers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dreisaitl, uh, McDavid, and James Neal had 40 scoring chance shots in the first six games. Every other forward had a combined total of 18. Leon, so Leon, Leon had 19. Leon had all the other guys besides the other two you named had 18 combined. Leon had more than Not ones. that Leon was driving the bus or anything. Not that he's just Godzilla <laughs> of the NHL, the monster of the midway, the dick butkus of the NHL right now. He's just killing it. That was mandatory 1960s sports reference. All right, uh, that's even before my time. I just read about Dick, Dick Butkus. I never actually saw him. Oh, play. he was a monster. Was he, was he the monster of midway? Uh, I think that was a. I, I think that was a plural monsters of the midway, but he was a straw that stirred the drink for the Chicago Bears defense for years. Number fifty-one, and he was a brute. Uh, wonderful, wonderful player, but mean as. Mean AF, I think the the kids say these days, and just all over the field, and and uh, he was like Danny Kepley on on. Well, I was going to say on steroids, but that's kind of, maybe, that may be redundant. Maybe redundant. But he was he was Danny he was Danny Kepley before there was a Danny Kepley, and he was in the NFL doing the Danny Kepley. So, all right. So. Anyway. 
it's particular, the, the Monsters of the Midway is the most widely known as the nickname of the National Football League Chicago Bears, particularly the dominant teams of 1940 and 1941. Is that like oh. Bronco Nagurski or something? Yeah, it must be, yeah. Okay, that's even before your time, Bruce. <laughs> All right. No, I don't remember that particular <laughs> Okay, uh, what are we at? Oh, I did my good thing. What's your bad thing? My bad thing is Edmonton Oilers' inattention to detail, and it, it permeated this entire game. And I'm, I'm not – I mean – totally losing track of where the opponents were in the offensive zone, constant turning over of the puck or weak attempts to clear it out of their own zone. And all kind of, like the last few seconds of the first period, they're holding a 2-1 lead. I'll, I'll just give a couple of vignettes. They're holding a 2-1 lead. First of all, Darnell Nurse ices the puck for no apparent reason other than uh, he can't make a hit a teammate uh, with a stretch pass from a standing position. And then they get the puck in their own end, and they can't get it out, and they can't get it out, and they're, they're running around, and Philly finally works it in the middle, and they got three great shots from, you know, two feet out in the last couple of seconds of the first period. Let's fast forward to the last 15 seconds of the second period, and the second period's been tough enough that I'm already swearing at my TV a fair bit just just on general principles. Even though it's by one Oilers, uh, it, Part of it is I really don't like Philadelphia Flyers. Never have. Those are not games you want to lose, and they're certainly not games where you want to piss away a big lead. And it's 5-1. It looks like they're going to get out of the period, and the third line gets the puck into Philly's zone, and they work it around, and they're doing everything right. The puck behind the goal line, behind the icing line, the clock's ticking down 25, 20, 15 seconds. And then Jujar Kara decides... From the corner, he's going to make a backhand pass into the slot when he's behind the goal line. The pass gets intercepted and Philadelphia roars up the ice. It didn't turn into anything, but it was just an example of really bad process. If I was his coach, I would have been all over him for that. You eat the puck, you kill the clock. You don't give them any breathe. You're not going to score. It's 5-1. to one. You don't need to score. You just need to take some control. Then the third period starts. 15 seconds into the third period, Philly gets a three-on-two. And the chase is on from there. It's like they came out for the third and thought, oh, this game is over. And anyway, so if I if I sound upset, as a fan, I am. I, I don't think my team played well, and I don't think they played smart. And Dave Tippett shares that opinion. I think I'm comfortable in saying that much. So my bad thing... Uh, is just the same thing, I guess. It's the defensive bonehead plays. And um, this was right up and down the lineup from the very best player on the orders, Connor McDavid, um, to the worst player, which who I won't name because that's not very nice. Um, so, but McDavid, he had, he had a Wayne Gretzky game in the truest sense of the word tonight, Bruce, in that he put up multiple points. But come on, Gretzky also had a number of defensive lapses. Uh, where he played the Matador defense and kind of waved his cape as players yeah. went by. And Gretzky also really dug in, of course. Like, he was fantastic on the back check, digging in. But I didn't even see that, honestly, too much. A whole heck of a lot from McDavid and Dreisaitl. Anyway. Or anyone. They they did. They just were outworked from, from uh, buzzer to buzzer to buzzer to buzzer. And <laughs> they were so lucky to win this game. Yes. Uh, they, were, they were so lucky. McDavid burst made five 
grade five major mistakes on grade A chances against tonight. Oh. That is like that's like a that's like a half a month's worth of mistakes <laughs> for a center all in one game. Sure, a week's worth at minimum. So I hear on the Oilers this year that they're not uh, there's no like elite little club uh, superstar that doesn't get criticized anymore. That everybody gets criticized. Mm-hmm. So uh, Connor is going to be in for some criticism because you know there was one play in the there was a couple plays in the first period where there was one where Benning kind of went the wrong way a little bit and the guy came around the net, wrapped it around in the, yes. and McDavid's man then came and slammed it right on that. It should have been a goal. Like it was just mm-hmm. Koskinen in the right spot at the right time. And that was McDavid's check. Then again, late in the, in the last seconds of the first, you know, the same, yeah. same, there was two great A chances right at the end there. And they were at McDavid was part of the, uh, uh, the sequence of pain. Not ultimate pain, not a goal against, but it sure could have mm-hmm. been. So that was my bad thing. Uh, just one after another after another. And the owners have had horseshoes this year, Bruce. Like th- this is a three and three team, if we're completely honest. Do you, do you think that's a, a, a fair comment? Well, it's four and three, I guess, instead of six and one. But yeah. Four and three, yeah. Four and three. Let, I'll give them the four and three. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, they, they were. Uh, uh, they were not the best team on the ice tonight. Well, they did have the best goalie. They did. Uh, Koskinen made 49 saves. Carter Hart made 10. Brian Elliott made 6. And Chris Russell made 8. <laughs> hey, you know what, Bruce? We've had 7 games. The Oilers have, may have had the best goalie in most of those games. Yes, Almost all of those games. And how many yeah. times could we say that last year? So there's there's something uh-huh. that kind of goes against my the Oilers should be 4-3. and three. When you have the best goalie, uh, maybe six out of seven games or close to that. Maybe it was a tie in a couple of games. But uh, when you have the best goalie, it goes a long way in hockey. Who's that? A vampire? <laughs> I think it's a vampire. All right. Uh, your, what's your number? Uh, well, I'm going to give you a string of numbers, but they're all related. This is... Uh... Connor McDavid's stat line, you've already talked about the five um, um, contributions, as we call it, to grade-A scoring chances against. And Connor's line, with the exceptions, which I'll name at the very end, is very uh, underwhelming. Uh, One shot on goal, one shot, one hit, three giveaways, one takeaway, 40% in the face-off dot. And in flow of play, when he was on the ice, the Oilers attempted nine shots, and Philly attempted 25. <laughs> nine to 25, okay? I mean, you, you look at all of that, and you say, oh, man, that is not good. That is not good at all. Now I'm going to just slip ahead here to the box cars. Connor McDavid, one goal, four assists, five points, plus three. Great game. I'm giving, I'm, I'm, I'd be forced to give him a six or a seven as a grade. I mean, five points, man. I mean, it's not a 10. It's the farthest thing from a 10. Uh, but because he got the results and because Philly really didn't get the results, all those shots against, they never scored one goal while McDavid was on the ice. It's kind of astonishing. Well, but it was it was a very bizarre, and that's about as bizarre a line of stats as I've seen in a long time. I don't overlook results in the game grades, but I really am trying to look at process. Like who is, who is you know, getting so you, it right? What do you grade him? So you say seven? Six to seven. I'd, I'd be sort of wobbling between the two. And when I wobble, I usually round up in a win and round down in a loss. So 
I'd give him a seven, Bruce, because mm-hmm. I'd give because him a seven as well because of the. It's pretty hard to. I mean, and then, then and the brilliant goal. goal. I mean, the brilliant play, goal. That goal was fantastic. So, yeah. you know, I mean, he's a wonderful player, and I, I don't want to come across as harping on the guy. It just it was a very odd game, and and his stat line is, uh, it's exactly what Dave Tippett was upset about after the game. He didn't name any names other than Koskinen. Uh, but I dare say he's looking at a lot of culprits. And uh, I mean, number number ninety seven, being the sort of centerpiece player on the team, he's going to get he's going to get the the microscope, and he's getting it here. It's great eh, that we're that we can rave about Miko Koskinen. There's there <laughs> has been so much angst, anxiety, angst about this player, and um, you know he he he's really played did three play excellent that. games in a row now. He he well. We saw that as well last year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he, he he went on a run when he got here, about 10 games, where he looked yep. like, again, the second coming of Ken Dryden, which I probably mentioned about 15 times, that that line. But uh, that's how he looked. And um, good Not for him. Tory 70s sports reference. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Um, so good. That's just great news. And maybe there's some magic elixir for these two goalies both in their 30s where you play them two games in a row and then you sit them for two games in a row and, and, and that's the rotation because then they, they got time to heal up they got time to rest and then they got and they also get time to think hey i better get in there and play well because that other guy that other guy didn't look too bad well koskinen he played one game in the first two periods tonight and he played in a whole nother game in the third period so they may need to rest him next game after the 52-shot bombardment that he faced tonight. 52 to 22 were the shots. Wow. 52-22. And the grade-A scoring chances were, what, 20 to 10 or thereabouts? 20-11. Yeah, okay. 20 to 11. Wow. Yeah. 20 grade-A scoring chances. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's two games worth easy. Yeah. And Koskinen was, uh, I mean, he, he did get beat. Late and he had no chance, especially on the second. I mean, they had a six-on-three power play for goodness' sake, <laughs> and they and they zipped it around, and Jacob Vorchek slammed a slap shot right into the top corner and just picked the top corner with a one-time bomb, unstoppable. But that's what the, they needed to do to beat Mikko Koskinen tonight. A lot of those these Eastern teams seem the same to me. There's the sameness about them, and that they're um. They're they're quite skilled offensively. They they have a lot of players who can really move the puck, make plays with the puck. They're not necessarily any. They're not even like even the Flyers. Not even scary teams anymore physically. Like they're not right. big bruising teams or, or tough teams. They're not that kind of team. But they're all they're all kind of high flying teams that like try to make plays. This was a bit of a dirty game though. There was a, there was a few scrums and there were some cheap shots on both sides, uh, and. Uh... I love Cassian. Uh, a little, little bit of bad blood, yeah. Yeah, Cassian uh, didn't like something he saw there at the end of the first period, I guess it was. And uh, there was one, I mean, Marcus Granlund took two terrible penalties. And the second one where he cross-checked the guy into the boards, I mean, with a four-goal lead risking a major penalty is just dumb, dumb, dumb hockey. I'm not calling him a dumb player, but that was a dumb play. Okay, let's move on to my number. And okay. because because we've been taking the uh, the uh, gourd the gourd's name in vain here, uh, <laughs> I'm going to praise McDavid Al- McDavid Almighty, and um, I because he because he 
he really is an astonishing player. Like the way he, Bruce, he had major, he had major knee surgery. You know, that's been played down. He had major knee surgery. He's, he's back. And seven, 17 points in seven games. He's, he's scoring at a 2.43 per game clip. So this is Gretzky. Like, I can't remember what Gretzky's best year was. Uh, points per game. He had 205 points in 74 games in, uh, uh, 1983-84. Here he started off with a 51-game scoring streak, and then he got hurt, and he missed six games. And I think that worked out to something like 2.77 points per game, and that's still the record. So, so Gretzky-like numbers here. This is Gretzky in his prime. I, I hit some button, and I lost the audio there for a sec. Um, so... 2.43, that's right up there with Gretzky's best years. Not his best year, but his best years. And now, he of course... He was typically right around 2.5 to 2.6, Gretzky. Oh, my Very, gosh. very consistent. <laughs> I mean, 200 points in 80 games is yeah. 2.5, and he was over 200 four different times. Oh, jeez. Rice level, <laughs> 2.14 per game. They, oh. they, they lead, they're the lead, two leading scorers in the league. Um, they're at, this power play is absolutely killing it. 10 absolutely 22. killing it. Power play. I got absolutely no complaints about the power play tonight. Uh, they played a minute and 52 seconds and slammed home two goals. Now it's still early. Of course, John Carlson is second in the league in scoring. With you know, He's a pretty good player. And he's a good power player as well. Um, he's got five power play points, John Carlson. 14 points in eight games. And then Sidney Crosby, Mark Shifley, Patrick Liney, David Pasternak, Mark Stone, Mikko Rantanen. So it is... Like the 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 early season fluky names are dropping from the top ten list, shaken Don't sound out. Sound like stars to me. Shaken out, and we're seeing the stars. Stars have risen to the top, and the, you know a few more stars will rise to the top as this goes along. Make like maybe uh, the great Austin Matthews will rise up there. We'll see. Um, but uh, right now, Bruce, wow, Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl are the hottest ticket, the biggest show on hockey. They're the Cirque du Soleil of hockey right now, those two guys, the, the acrobatics on ice, amazing hockey players. And it's a treat, absolute treat, to watch them on the attack, even though now and then we might get a little bit of grumpy watching them on defense. <laughs> well, I tell you, that, I mean, that play, the goal, like I was, I was muttering to uh, my patient wife about how much trouble they were having clearing the zone and how they were... Lucky to be still ahead, and finally Chris Russell got the puck in the corner, and he just dumped a high punt out into the neutral zone, and it came. He, I mean, he, it couldn't have come down any better, right on the far blue line, and it went from McDavid being sort of ten or fifteen feet to one side of the defenseman to being even with him, to lifting his stick and being gone behind him, and puck was in the net, and it was like, wait a minute, puck's been on our end for ten minutes, and we scored. How'd that happen? But that was one of those. And then, of course, the two power plays came right after that, and then it was bam, bam, and then it really was lights out for for Philly. But uh, oh, that's, that was a, a kind of an emotional ringer of a game. That should be a set play for the Oilers if it isn't, you know, that lob to McDavid, because that is a really nasty, scary play for opposing defensemen. You know, that puck's coming out, it hits, it can go anywhere, it can bounce anywhere, and here you have Connor McDavid coming at you a billion miles an hour. <laughs> well, in a worst-case scenario, the high lob like that allows you to clear the zone and even probably make a line change, even if it just winds up just 
skittering to the other team like it usually does. But there's that one time in five or seven that it'll, you know, it'll be a free puck and you can win a puck battle and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're on the yeah. attack. And if you happen to be Connor McDavid doing that, then you might be in alone. <laughs> yeah. The worst thing that happens, it, it often gets batted down by a glove, right? Like the in the D zone, like they try to lob it and it's not mm-hmm. a hard shot. So someone bats it down yeah. with their hand and they keep it in. Alrighty, well, let's Paul leave it there. Paul Coffey, he was the ace at the high lob pass, or uh-huh. just high lob clearance. He would, he would, he would never, he, I never saw him whiff on one. He would always get under it and get serious error under it. And every once in a while, some speedster like Lance and would come up under the other end of it and a goal would be scored. But uh, uh, anyway, that was, uh, that was one of Coffey's more underrated skills. Mandatory 1980s sports reference. And with that, we can call it a night. We're going to talk about the Edmonton Oilers. We're going to have a few mandatory 80s references. At least you're going to talk to me about them. Especially especially you and me, Kurt. Because <laughs> well, it's so fresh in our minds, right? Like it's, it, was, it was so real. And I know for, for people, most many people, it's like ancient history. They can't, like it's, it must be like, like for, for I was a Habs fan in the 70s, right? It must have been like, like when they talked about Doug Harvey and Jean Beliveau, like it meant nothing to me. Uh, but, you know, you just see these grainy old clips of these players um, skidding around the ice. But anyway. Well, if you were a Habs fan in the 70s and an Oilers fan in the 80s, you were a lucky man. I was. I picked the right teams, Bruce. And Team Canada. Lots of joy for me. Yeah. Oh, I know. Not so much since then, although Team Canada has <laughs> held up their end quite often, so there's always been that. All right, Bruce, thanks for talking tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>